If you'll turn in your Bibles to first to Malachi the third chapter. Malachi the third chapter, and I want to catch one verse from there as I talk to you today about change. Change. Malachi 3 and verse 6. He says, For I am the Lord, I change not. Therefore, ye sons of Jacob are not consumed. Very important words. I am the Lord, I change not. And the message I want to speak to you, as I said, is about change. The Lord, we first established the principle that the Lord does not change. He is eternal. The Father, the Son, the Holy Ghost, those three are one. And He doesn't need to change because He's perfect. He's holy, He's harmless, He's undefiled, He's separate from sinners, He's above and beyond. And yet, as we've heard preached so beautifully this morning, He's very near also. But He doesn't have to change. He doesn't need to change. And His principles of morality and goodness and holiness and His uh, the, what, he, what the Lord teaches and shows us as wickedness, He has never changed. You can take any subject that's around today, any issue that's around today, God's Word will tell you the truth of it, and since before time, He's never changed on it. That's amazing, because we live in such an ever-changing society and culture. Fifteen years ago, twenty years ago, the things that were hot topics today were practically unheard of. It's amazing how quickly things can change. Psalm 55 and 19 says, God shall hear and afflict them, speaking of the wicked, even he that abideth of old, Selah, because they have no changes, therefore they fear not God. Well, another principle we want to establish is, the, is that the wicked do not change in and of themselves. The wicked don't just wake up one day and say, well, I think I'll change. Right. Now, if you listen to media or pay attention to anything that's going around on in the world, it's a constant mantra. It's a constant theme of change. We need change. We need change. You know, one of the great, scary, awful ideas of change is we need to go from the type of government that we have to something like communism or, or something that will wind up destroying a nation as communism has. Every nation that's ever existed in, it'll, it'll destroy China one day. It's going to destroy, and people say, well, that's the change that we need. Think about all of the ideas about change that are out there, whether it's politics, whether it's gender confusion, you know, all of these different things. You see, the Lord never changes. He doesn't need to because he's perfect. So if in our minds we think, well, you know, I wish God would change the way that he views this or the way that he is, we need to change our thinking towards God, you see. He doesn't need to change because he's perfect. So... The wicked don't change because they don't have a desire to change. Change that I'm speaking of here today, the type of change that I speak of is for the born-again child of God. I need to change. You need to change. We all need to change. People say, well, you can't teach an old dog new tricks. The Word of God doesn't teach that. There's a lot of old dogs that have been taught new tricks in the Word of God when it comes to change. Change is for the born-again child of God. Am I talking about social change, national change, political change? No, I'm talking about things that really change the world. When a man 
has a public ministry of three and a half years. He had a public ministry of three and a half years, and almost 2,000 years later, we're still talking about him. And we're still preaching about him. As Brother Luke was presenting that this morning, it just hit me like a ton of bricks again, as it has before. He was here for, what, 33 and a half years, but only three and a half of those years was he focusing on change, you see? A three and a half year period of time. You think about a three and a half year period of time in your life. That is amazing to think about that our lives are or should be directed by a man who had a ministry for three and a half years. That's amazing. And yet it's still going on today. Acts 2 and 38. Acts 2 and 38. This is the type of change that I'm speaking of when it comes to a born-again child of God. You see, the wicked don't change. They'll never change. But if God acts upon the heart of a child of God, a chosen child of God, when he acts upon that heart and borns them again, that's a change right there that they had nothing to do with. And after they are changed, after they've been touched by the Spirit of God, which is the sovereign act of God, then this is the type of change that I'm talking about. And the Word of God refers to it primarily as repentance. Because that's what it is, to turn. Acts 2 and 38, after the Apostle Peter has preached that incredible first message of the New Testament church where Christ has gone back and ascended back to heaven. This is the day of Pentecost. And this fisherman gets up, this unlearned fisherman gets up and preaches, and there's thousands there. And the ones that were touched by the Spirit of God already, it says those that were pricked in their heart, the ones that God had already touched their heart, when they got, when the knowledge of God, when the knowledge of Jesus Christ was presented to them in the gospel, and the knowledge hit their head and connected up with the feeling that was in their heart, then they said, men and brethren, what shall we do? They were looking to change. You mean that we just participated in crucifying the God-man who was made flesh and dwelt among us and could feel the things that we felt and deal with the things that we dealt with except he was without sin? Are you telling me we just crucified him? When that hit their mind and it connected with their heart, which God had changed their heart, they said, what do we do? We need to change. When I was in 10th grade, well, actually, when I was in ninth grade, I ran for student government chaplain against a, a young man, fine young man, who was going to be a senior. <laughs> and I don't know, I guess I, everybody thought I was funny or something because I actually beat this guy who was a senior. And I, I, I feel bad about that to this day. I feel bad about that to this day, that me as a little old ninth grader, you know, beat somebody who was in 11th grade going in to be a senior. But we're still friends, and I still know him and so forth. But I still felt bad about that. You know, who am I, a little ninth grader? I can't believe I won. It's a land, I, it was an amazing victory. And so I became student government chaplain in my, going into my 10th grade year. In my 10th grade year, I got in more trouble in school than I ever got in in my entire uh, 13 years of being there. Mom's back there laughing. She knows all about it. They had this place down at the school that I went to, and if you got in really bad enough trouble, they put you in what they call the rubber room. <laughs> And, of course, it was a play on the idea of how you take somebody who goes into, like, a mental institution that might harm themselves, you know, and they put them in this, you know, this rubber room or this cushioned room, you know, so they won't harm themselves. So it wasn't like that, and it wasn't imprisonment. But I went to the rubber room two times that year as the chaplain of the student government. And I can remember the first time that I went into prison isolation 
at school. I was sitting there with my head down and in the bless her heart, the secretary of the school who was from Austria and she, she God rest her soul, she's with the Lord and she would talk like this to you and she'd say, I don't know what's wrong with you, Tim, but you need to make some changes. And, and I got her voice in my ear coming through the door and I'm sitting there going, I'm the chaplain, what's wrong with me? <laughs> I got to make some changes. And then I got in trouble the second time and I'm back in there again. And I'm thinking, I just need to go jump off a cliff or something. You know, my life is forfeit. I'm the chaplain and I'm in trouble twice. Because, <laughs> you know, back then I said, well, I was framed. But I wasn't framed. You know, I was complicit. <laughs> I was complicit in a lot of it, most of it. <laughs> you know, anyway, I was sitting there thinking, I don't like being in trouble. I need to change. I, and on top of it, I'm the chaplain and oh. Poor old guy that I beat out who's a senior, he'd been so much better than me. <laughs> but you know, being sorry that you got caught is a little different than being sorry for who you are and your sins. Now, I, I believe I was a born-again child of God back then. I'm pretty dumb because I wasn't learning the lessons I needed to learn and even the hard knocks of life. I wasn't learning, I guess, what I needed to learn. I believe I was born again, but I just couldn't quite latch on to how I needed to change. I'm talking about a heartfelt, born-again child of God who feels in their heart, I have wronged the Lord. I need to change. You can do that throughout the rest of your life. Amen. I need to do that today. And maybe you don't realize it, but you do too. So the men cried out. The people cried out. The men and women cried out. And they said, men and brethren, what shall we do? And Peter said unto them in verse 38, repent and be baptized. Repent. The word repent right there means to think differently and reconsider as he was preaching to them about Jesus is the one you just crucified. The children of God who were in that crowd that were touched by the Spirit of God, born again in the Spirit of God, they understood and comprehended, oh my goodness, this was the Son of God. And he's probably going to smash us now. He's probably going to rain fire and brimstone down on us for what we've done to him. And Peter just said, repent. Stop thinking like you're thinking and think a different way. In Luke, the third chapter, John the Baptist came preaching out of the wilderness. You talk about somebody that came out of nowhere. Literally, he came out of nowhere, out of the country, out of the wilderness. He'd been living out in the wilderness. It says that whenever he was old enough to survive, that he was in the wilderness until his showing to the people of Israel. He lived out in the wilderness, and he was a wild man living out there. He was the first Baptist. Anybody ever ask you why you want to have that word Baptist tagged to your name as a Baptist, as a primitive Baptist? You tell them because John, the first one, was a Baptist, the one who came baptizing, you see? And he was in the wilderness until his showing. And all of a sudden, one day out of the blue, here comes this, this strangely dressed man, this wild message that he's preaching from this wild man. And he was a man's man. Let me tell you, he'd been living out. Nobody could question John's toughness because he'd been living out in the wilderness for all those years. And he comes preaching, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Change what you're doing. Change what you're thinking. Change how you're living. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He was the forerunner. Sometimes I like to use the comparison of a bulldozer. The, 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 uh, John the Baptist was like the bulldozer that paved the road, that opened the way for Christ as he came. You see, he was the messenger. He was the harbinger. He was the one that Malachi foretold there in the Old Testament, that last book of the Bible. He said, behold, my messenger is coming and he's going to pave the way. And that's what John the Baptist did. And he said, repent. And the people must have understood something because it says the people standing before him, they said, what do we do? 
John the Baptist was very specific. See, the Word of God is very specific. People say, well, you know, God is this general God, you know, that you can't really, He's just a concept and you can't really get a, your hands on Him. If you go studying the Word of God, you better be prepared for what the Word of God is going to tell you. You'll start feeling differently when you see what the Word of God says about your life, what you do, what you say, what you think. You see? So they said, what do we do? And John said, well, if you got two coats, give away one of them. And that, if, that, if that means literally, I mean, he did mean that literally, but if that applies to me literally today, I've got about 15 of these right here, <laughs> of these dress coats. If that literally applies, I've got to give away seven. <laughs> if he was saying give away half of what you got, or, you know, I've got two or three, I've got a work coat, I've got, you know, a nicer coat to wear out and about, you know, when I take... Sister Tracy out on a date night. I've got a, you know, a, a in-between heavy coat. I've got all these coats. Every time I read that, I think, do I need to give away some of these? So I try to. About once a year, you know, I, I pick a few of them out and try to give them away to somebody that I know that doesn't have one. That's because of what the Word of God says. <laughs> I didn't just dream that up. And I probably just killed all my joy for doing that because I told you all I'd do it. <laughs> and then he said, if you have food, share it with somebody who doesn't. I ask you the question, do you understand how that plays over to you today? Because it still applies. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's here. And then, the tax collectors. I wish that the federal tax collectors around April 15th would get to feeling like this. But anyway, that's another story. But they said, what do we do? The tax collectors, the public says, what do we do? And he said, don't take any more than you're supposed to. He was very specific to them because they were prone to do that. And then the soldiers said, you get the picture of who was standing around there. You got a group of soldiers standing around. They probably came just to keep order. There's such a big crowd out here. And so the soldiers come to kind of keep everybody in line. And the next thing you know, the soldiers are worshiping and participating. And the publicans have come. <laughs> That's not Republicans, by the way. That's the publicans, the tax collectors. And so then the people were all gathered there. And, and they listened to the message. And they began to think, you know, he's right. I need to change. I've got something going on in my heart that doesn't feel right. Because the Holy Spirit tells us that. The word repent right there where he says, bring forth fruits, meet for repentance. It means to feel compunction. You know what that is? Compunction is where you feel something in your heart that tells you this is wrong or this is right. Compunction. That's what that is. It's a spiritual compunction for guilt. I feel just this twinge of guilt. Now you understand that the Word of God teaches us that we can habitually sin so much that you don't feel that anymore. doesn't mean you're not a child of God, but you don't feel it anymore. God help us from being in that condition that we don't feel compunction for our sin. It also means a reversal of decision. So if they were being covetous or they were doing this or they were doing that, it's an idea of reversing the decision, reversing their direction, you see? Listen, Christ told the apostles whenever he went back, to, before he went back to heaven, he said, preach, go out into the world and preach repentance. Preach change. In Acts, the 20th chapter, if you turn back over to the book of Acts, when the apostle Paul is giving his farewell message to the church at Ephesus, you know, we've got the book of Ephesians. You also read about Ephesians being mentioned in Revelation. Well, here the Apostle Paul gives you this beautiful speech, if you will, about what he did and what he taught at Ephesus. And look at Acts 20 and 20. He says, How I kept back nothing that was profitable unto you, but I have showed you and have taught you publicly and from house to house 
testifying both to the Jews and also to the Greeks, repentance toward God, and not just a turning from your sin, but faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, it's kind of a double turn there, if you will. You know, you turn from your sin, and in turning from your sin, you're turning towards the Lord Jesus Christ. Most people want to get away. You know, I'm sure, Brother Luke, that that woman who was caught in adultery, you know, she wanted to get away. Didn't want to be around anybody. Didn't want to be confronted. But what a beautiful picture that you have there where she repented. She turned from her sin. He said, go forth and sin no more. And at the same time, she was turning towards Jesus. Isn't that beautiful how simple that is? Jesus said, repent. Let me give you a few examples here. You say, well, I just don't know if I can do it. I'm, I'm an old dog and you can't teach an old dog new tricks. Or maybe I'm a young dog and I just can't seem to get it right. Maybe you're like Brother Tim when he was chaplain in 10th grade. I just can't seem to get it right. I'm happy to tell you that the Word of God is filled with changes in people's lives. You know why? One of the reasons people change is because the Lord changes not. You see, you're turning to something when you change, when you repent. You're turning to something that is immovable, something that doesn't change. And praise be to God that our God is a God of mercy and He loves for His children to change. He's honored by that. What does it say? Jesus said in the book of Luke, He says, there is joy in the presence of the angels of heaven over one sinner that repents. You understand that when we change our thinking, when we change our actions, whenever we change what we do that's dishonoring God, that there's joy in heaven. You say, well, that's for somebody else. No, child of God, it's for you because you're a sinner. It's not just talking about somebody who was caught in some great sin. It's talking about you and me. We change how we look at things and we change from dishonoring to honoring. There's joy in the presence of God in heaven. I can just see him up there. I know my mind's silly. I know I think weird. But I can just see him up in heaven years ago. And not just years ago, but at any day, at any time. You know, they'll say, hey, look, look, hey, come here. Everybody watch. Get the angels over here. Gather everybody around. They tell the cherubims to quiet down. Stop all the holy, holy, holies. What could possibly be interrupting everything that's going on in heaven come and watch watch there's that knucklehead tim he's changing <laughs> he's changed his mind he's changed what he's doing he's not getting sent to the rubber room anymore you know he's trying to do right <laughs> in heaven that is what happens when we change what you do here on this earth it's not social change it's not political change it is personal god-honoring change that stretches all the way to the, the throne room of heaven that is glorious. So well, I just can't do it, Brother Tim. If David can do it, you can do it. He murdered. He committed adultery. A man who was described when he was at his best as being after God's own heart. Now, when he was doing those things, don't misunderstand. He wasn't, be, he wasn't a man after God's own heart committing adultery and when he was committing murder. The murder of Bathsheba's husband. But David changed. Oh my, Psalm 51. After Nathan comes to David... And he gives him that account of the man who stole the ewe lamb of the poor man. He gave him that account and then he looked at David. David said, that man needs to be put to death. And he was right. And Nathan, as I've said many times, you know, probably stuck a long, bony preacher finger at David. And he said, thou art the man. That's a hard thing to do to the king of the land. You read in the days of John the Baptist, maybe John the Baptist got it in his head that he could do that with Herod. And John the Baptist said to him, thou art the man. And that wicked wife of Herod had him arrested and put in jail and eventually had his head cut off. This is not a light thing that a prophet goes in here and looks at the king and says, thou art the man. 
But I'm going to tell you, child of God, whenever you live your life and the compunction of your guilt, spiritual guilt before God comes upon you, you will look in the mirror and you will say to yourself, I am the man or the woman or the child. That's a beautiful thing. That's not a bad thing. David committed murder. David committed adultery. And he goes into Psalm 51. He says, have mercy upon me, O Lord, O God. This is the psalm that he wrote whenever he was Guilty of those things. When it came to him, whenever the knowledge of what he had done through the preaching of the gospel came to his head, came to his mind, and it connected up with what God had already done to his heart, oh, he felt compunction over his guilt. And he wrote one of the most beautiful psalms that will help you and me to change. Have mercy upon me, O God, according to thy loving kindness, according unto the multitude of thy tender mercies. Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from mine iniquity. Cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgressions and my sin is ever before thee. Against thee and thee only have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight. Oh my goodness. What a change. Now David had to suffer the consequences of his foolishness for the rest of his life. He lost four children. He lost four of his babies. One was a little one and the others were grown, but he lost four of his babies. He suffered greatly for what he did, but he changed. What about Peter? <laughs> Over in the book of Luke, the 22nd chapter, the Christ denier. Peter said, I'll go with you to death, Lord. And I can just see the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, I'm just, again, I'm just being in my weird way. I can just see him probably go, oh, <laughs> roll his eyes. There goes Peter, you know, shooting off of the mouth again. I wonder if he does that to me. Oh, there goes Tim, shooting off of the mouth again. There goes Peter. Peter, you're going to deny me three times before the night's out. And Peter's like, I'll go to death with you, Lord. <sighs> I can just see the Lord take a breath and go, this guy, he just ain't got it yet. But what happens between Peter denying Jesus three times and cursing? Cursing and swearing. I don't know the man. And he stands up on the day of Pentecost, which is where we take part of our text from this morning. And he says, repent and be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Something changed in Peter. You know, the Lord gave Peter some hope there, didn't he? He looked at Peter and he said, Peter, Satan has desired to sift you as wheat. That means he's going to shake you around to try to destroy everything you are and what you have to bring the level of your faith down to nothing. <laughs> he says, but when you are converted, strengthen the brethren. Brothers and sisters, we need to be converted on a daily basis. Amen. Converted is not being born again. Right. The Lord does the born again part. How many times have I told you? The Lord's got your heart covered. That's nothing that I can affect. But I want your mind. I want you to have your mind converted. And that's what happened to Peter whenever he saw the Lord. When he went through all those glorious things that the Lord taught and said and touched him and handled him after he was resurrected. And then he stands up on the day of Pentecost and he delivers a message like you've never heard. And the people said, we want to change. What do we do? See? So, look at what Peter did. And he changed. What about the thief on the cross? Small, tiny little window of time. The Lord's ministry was what, three and a half years? And there you see him interacting with the thief on the cross in a six hour period. Okay? And remember, the thief on the cross was cursing. Both of the thieves were cursing Jesus. Why don't you get us down from here? What's wrong with you? If you be the Son of God, 
deliver us from this physical torment. They were casting the same in their teeth, which means they were just gnashing on Jesus, even in the midst of this pain and suffering that they were in as they were being crucified. And by the grace of God, sometime I think around high noon, somewhere right in there, the Spirit reaches into the heart of one of those thieves and changes that thief. You see, that was the direct operation of the Spirit of God. No preacher did it. No book did it. No baptism did it. But the Lord directly changed that thief's heart. And all of a sudden, the thief starts praising God. Did you know the thief on the cross is practically the only person there on Calvary's rugged brow that defended the Lord Jesus Christ? He was cursing Jesus one minute, then he turns around and he's praising his name. He had a very short window of time to be converted. You see, God saved him. God born him again. And then he began to praise. And what does he say? He says, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. You see, he knew that Jesus was going to come into his kingdom that day. And he said, just think about me. And Jesus gave him the best news that you could ever imagine. He said, I'm not just going to remember you when I come into my kingdom, but I'm going to be there with you and you will be with me in paradise today. Thou shalt be with me. You get that? God changed the thief. And then the thief changed what he said. Instead of cursing Jesus, he started praising Jesus. Now those are on the lower end of the spectrum down there, aren't they? What about a fellow named Job? The most upright man that ever lived in that time. Job. By the way, he was alive most likely in the days of Abraham. Maybe before the Lord called Abraham out of Ur of the Chaldees. But in Job, the 42nd chapter, this upright man. You say, Brother Tim, you're preaching this message for change for all those sinners, right? I sure wish so-and-so had been here to hear this because that's a sinner that needed to hear it, right? (laughs) We all think stuff. Oh, I wish so-and-so had been here to hear that. Well, so-and-so may not be here, but you are. And this is not for the worst of the worst. It's not just for the worst of the worst. It's for the best of the best. Job was the best of the best. Can we agree on that? There was no upright, more upright man in the land than Job. And when he went through what he went through, the most upright man in the land, when he was confronted with God... Notice what it says in Job 42. After God has just, in a sense, lambasted Job for his doubt and for his confusion and for his defensiveness and for his anger, which was a lot of it was provoked by his miserable, comforting friends. But here it says, Job answers the Lord in verse 40, chapter 42. I know that thou canst do everything and that no thought can be withholden from thee. Who is he that hideth counsel without knowledge? Therefore have I uttered that I understood not things too wonderful for me, which I knew not. Here I beseech thee and I will speak. I will demand of thee and declare, unto thee, uh, declare thou unto me. I have heard of thee by the hearing of the ear, but now mine eye seeth thee. And what's the consequence? What's the result? Wherefore I abhor myself and repent in dust and ashes. It can be the most upright man in the land. It can be the most wicked thief on the cross who's been condemned by capital punishment to die, touched by the Spirit of God in the last minutes of his life. It could be a David who has committed terrible crimes of adultery and, and uh, murder It can be a Christ-denying Peter who said, I'll go with you to death, and then he's cursing and denying him. You see, across the board, across the spectrum of sinners, we need to change. We need to change. And if you're sitting there this morning and you're thinking, well, you know, I really don't have any need for change, then there's something in your life that has hardened your heart. I wake up in the morning every day and I think, I need to change. It may not be that I'm sitting in the disciplinary room or the imprisonment room at my old school but it's the same concept it's the same same thought I need to change I need to pray more I need to learn more I need to grow more 
As I get older, I feel more like, you know the saying, you're behind the eight ball? As I get older, I feel more like I've got a a clock that's ticking in my life and it's ticking down to a time whenever I will be changed forever involuntarily at the resurrection, you see, or when I die. I'm going to be changed forever. But until then, Lord, I want to keep changing. I want to keep improving. I want to keep getting better. I don't want to get worse. I don't want to get bitter. I don't want to get calloused. I don't want to get more ugly. I want to get more and more sensitive to my sin and sensitive to those that are around me. You know, perhaps the strangest change that ever occurred, now this was not repentance, but perhaps the strangest change that ever occurred was the Lord Jesus Christ, the King of kings and Lord of lords, descending from heaven and taking on molecules of humanity to begin with, the size of a microbe, the Holy Ghost going into the womb of Mary, and God becomes flesh. That was quite a change for God. He'd never been flesh before. And He goes and He takes on flesh. That was a change. The King of kings who has no sin, who is holy, harmless, undefiled, steps down and becomes flesh. That's an amazing change that ought to inspire. When that knowledge hits our minds, we ought to say, Lord, You did that for me then there's nothing that I can't do for you. You know, it goes all the way down even to our very homes. You know, every time that I sit down to watch a TV show or watch something or stream something or whatever, there's a verse of Scripture that comes into my mind that hit me years ago. Psalm 101, where David spoke about what he did in his house, how he conducted himself in the privacy of his home. And David said, I will set no wicked thing before mine eyes. Now, I have, I have to admit to you, I've failed in that sometimes. I said, well, you know, I know David said that, but, you know, it's, it's just me. Nobody's watching. Nobody sees what I'm, it's got a few curse words in it, you know. And that just keeps talking to me. And the next day I'm like, there, I did it again. I want to change. Do you? Do you want to change? Do you want to conform yourself to something that pleases God? Do you ask the question, Lord, what shall I do? One of the first things that you can do is join the church, repent and be baptized. We give you that opportunity as we stand and sing.